Hey everybody, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. I am so excited because today, nope, I fooled you. It's not going to be a guest. It's not going to be a dear friend of mine. You know, I realized something during our last podcast. Uh, I was hanging out with Dr. Mortar. Uh, I realized I forgot to do the mailbag. I forgot to answer all of the questions that we get. So they've been piling up and I've got probably about 10 or 12 questions. So today we're going to do an all question podcast. So just answering people's questions who've written in. And by the way, for folks out there, if you'd like me to answer your question on my podcast, please feel free. You can write into drbreus at thesleepdoctor.com or with my assistant, Becky, you can uh, send her a note. It's Becky, B-E-C-K-Y at thesleepdoctor.com. So with that, we're going to launch into a whole bunch of interesting questions. I haven't uh, looked through these very heavily, so they could be on just about anything. And you know me, I may go off on a little bit of a tangent here or there. So get ready, buckle up, and let's learn. So question number one comes from Yasmin, I believe, in France. And Yasmin writes, hi, Dr. B, and thank you for everything you do. I have one issue that is making me wake up a bit tired. I have quite vivid nightmares very often. When I wake up, I feel drained emotionally and physically. What can I do? Thanks for your question, Yasmin. This is not an unusual question. Uh, Believe it or not, there are quite a few people out there that suffer from nightmares, uh, vivid nightmares, vivid dreaming, and things like that. So let's look at a couple of quick things. So number one, we know that the more sleep-deprived a person is and the more stressed a person is, the greater likelihood that they're going to have these vivid nightmares. So step number one is always to improve sleep quality, if at all possible. Um, Step number two is, of course, to improve sleep quantity, but maybe not just quantity, but when you sleep. One of the big things that we're seeing now are COVID nightmares, quarantine dreaming, as they call it. And we think this has a lot to do with people extending their morning hours, meaning if you are sleeping in, there is a far greater likelihood that you are going to have a nightmare because guess what? REM sleep occurs in the last part of the night. So if you're normally wake up at seven and now you're waking up at 7.30 or eight o'clock and you find that you're having more scary dreams or vivid nightmares or just vivid dreams in general, wake up earlier have a consistent wake-up time that will absolutely positively help. But let's say you try that and it's not helping for your nightmares. What else could you possibly do? Well, one thing that we know about nightmares, and by the way, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I spoke with uh, a dream therapist who actually works specifically with people with nightmares, but that's an option, as well as there are medications out there. So we know that serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitors, or SSRI medications, these are things like Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, things like that, these all actually lower REM sleep, which again is where you have the most likelihood of having one of these dreams or nightmares. So if you're on one of those medications, that can lower nightmare frequency as well. So you've got a lot of different options here to lower nightmare frequency. Number one, be sure not to watch scary movies before bed. Have something that's optimistic and positive that you're thinking about before bed because most people will dream about whatever they're thinking about just before bed. Number two, make sure you get a little bit more sleep. Maybe you need a little bit more Uh, become a little bit less sleep deprived, that would be good. 
Um, also, don't forget uh, to keep that schedule tight because that will certainly help. And there are some things that you can talk with your psychiatrist and or psychologist about in helping you as well. So I wish you, Yasmin, best of luck with nightmares. Also, there is a blog on the website at thesleepdoctor.com talking all about a nightmare treatment that was created by a University of New Mexico professor, Dr. Barry Krakow. I encourage you to go check it out. All right. Question number two. Good evening, Dr. Bruce. Thanks for sharing your expertise in your emails and podcasts. I have a question for you. I have not been able to get off of trazodone, which I have been taking for years. Whenever I taper, I get down to 37.5 milligrams. Currently, I take 75 milligrams and occasionally add another 75 in the middle of the night, which makes getting, which makes getting going in the morning slow. I get insomnia. I believe my brain chemistry is not capable of producing serotonin and dopamine and whatever other chemicals need to have with it. I do not want to take any more as the trazodone does not leave my system until the evening unless I do a vigorous workout. Should I tough it out and taper? I've tried before, but I always go back to sleeping with grogginess is better than not sleeping. I just ordered both your sprays. I've tried other natural remedies, but they do not work. If I do not take the trazodone, what would you recommend? Mary. So Mary, first of all, thank you for your detailed uh, description of what's going on. And let me tell you something, Mary, you are not alone. Many people take trazodone for insomnia. So let's talk about what is trazodone, first of all, and why is it a good or not such a great idea? So trazodone is what's called a tetracyclic, not a tricyclic antidepressant, but a tetracyclic antidepressant. To be clear, it wasn't particularly effective at treating depression when it was out as a drug, but one of the sleepy side effects <laughs> is that it makes people fall asleep. And so many doctors fear feel far more comfortable prescribing trazodone to people because they can take it at very large dosages and it has very few side effects and it doesn't seem to um, really have anything that's detrimental going on with it. That being said, there are lots and lots and lots of people who take trazodone and have for years. So first of all, the first question I always ask people is, do you really want to get off of your sleep aid? Um, and if so, that's a conversation that you probably want to have, I mean, definitely want to have with your prescribing physician. So one of the things I also like to talk about people is, why do you want to come off of your medication? Now, many people tell me, you know what, Dr. Bruce, I don't like taking a sleeping pill. I feel addicted to it, so on and so forth. I'm going to be very honest with people. Right now is not necessarily the best time to be coming off of medication that may be working for you. To be clear, we are under one of the most stressful times I can ever think about having in my most recent past. If there's such a high level of stress that's going on right now, is it really the time to try to take yourself off of a medication that you think is working reasonably well? One thing you could consider doing is having a discussion with your doctor about maybe changing to a different medication, which might not have those groggy feelings for you the next morning. That would certainly be another possible recommendation. Um, I'm excited that you were able to uh, get my sprays, um, but one of the things I would tell you is, is that you want to be taking those sprays not in conjunction with any other medications. So I would be careful about that and certainly ask your doctor as well. Um, other thing I would talk about um, with you is the idea of looking at what is your chronotype. So I've helped a lot of people once they discover what their chronotype is, because sometimes they're trying to go to bed at times that aren't actually working well with their body. So that could also be another um, issue that could be going on with you as well. 
So it seems like there could be a lot of things going on. Again, please have a great discussion with your doctor about the trazodone. If it's really not working for you the way you want it to, you do have the right to talk with your doctor about changing that medication, changing dosages, or just finding a different solution altogether. Again, I'm not recommending that you stay on the medication. I just want you to be thoughtful about the timing of getting off of it right now because this is a very stressful time for the entire world. Um, Again, that being said, are there many ways that you can come off of trazodone other than taking another medication? Absolutely. Again, working with your doctor to do a taper, you should consider cognitive behavioral therapy. It is easily one of the best options out there, certainly isn't limited. Um, And there's a lot of different ways that you can use cognitive behavioral therapy. There are now online programs. There was one that was actually just uh, released by the FDA. So there's many different ways that you can try different things that I think might actually help you a little bit more. So if you want, give an exploration, you might find a whole host of different options. Great question, Mary. Question number three. Hi, Dr. Bruce. Could you recommend any activities or products for a 97-year-old woman who has some dementia and is now hardly sleeping at night, getting up and down during the night, and having some hallucinations? From Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Great question. Certainly something that we've dealt with or heard about before. In people as they get older, in many cases, one of the things we see is something called sundowner's syndrome. Sundowner syndrome is where people who are over age 65 or 70, when the sun goes down, they become highly agitated in the evenings. They don't sleep. They get up. They get down. They have hallucinations, all of these types of things. So one thing that I would say is you probably want to have this woman evaluated for sundowner's syndrome. The good news is is that sundowner's syndrome is actually well treated with some medication and light therapy. So it turns out that as we get older, our ability to visualize light changes because our corneas begin to cloud or yellow. And so light doesn't actually come into our eyeballs the same way that it did before. Also, as we get older, our melatonin production begins to slow down. So in this 97-year-old woman, there's a whole host of things that could be going on. So number one, I would want to do an evaluation for sundowner syndrome and maybe use light therapy if that's what's going on to help her out. Number two, I would definitely want to check on her um, iron levels, magnesium levels, melatonin levels, uh, and vitamin D levels. All of those could be causing this up and down, not sleeping at night, things of that nature. The hallucinations are something that I would say we should definitely have neurology check out and make sure that she's not having something else that's potentially going on as well. But I think these three things might be a great place to start. The great news is, is that having somebody that's 97 years old uh, and they're still up and functioning with only a little bit of dementia is certainly something that's great um, from an overall health perspective. All right, let's go on to the next question. Uh, Let's see. Here we go. Dear Dr. Bruce, lately I've been having scary, high pressure and messed up dreams when I sleep. Sounds familiar. Sometimes even during a nap in the middle of the day in the dream, I always seem to need to try to scream, talk, run away or get help, but I can't at all. I try my best to wake up from these dreams, but it's very difficult. And when I wake up, I shout or make some loud, scared sounds. I don't know why it is happening. Any ideas? Best regards, Tenzin. Well, Ten, I got to be honest with you. I'm not really sure why you're having these scary, high-pressure dreams. 
Um, one thing we've noticed, as I said in my answer earlier, is that during quarantine, we are under such a high level of stress. And when people are under that high of a level of stress, their brains really don't know how to process that. Remember, dreaming is partially emotional processing. We know that we're storing memories, but we also know that we may be processing emotions. And so having these dreams might be actually helping you get through some of these things that you emotionally may be looking at. Again, one of the things that I like to do when I'm looking at dreams is to talk with um, Dr. Leslie Ellis. Remember, I had her on the podcast earlier. She is my dream therapist. She has done some amazing work with people. I highly recommend things that she's doing. And then also, once again, Dr. Barry Krakow from the University of New Mexico. He has created a nightmare treatment. It is available online. And here's what he does is he has people write down in extreme detail every single thing that they can think about about their nightmare. Except at the end, he has them change the ending so that it's positive and not negative. So if you were being chased, then you become the chaser. If you were, um, you know, under high pressure, then the pressure goes away. Those types of things. Then he has you read the new dream with the new ending uh, several times before you go to sleep. After seven to 10 days, the ending in the dream begins to change. And that's when it all starts to happen. So I highly recommend checking that out as well. Dr. Barry Krakow at the University of New Mexico, he does have an online program. All right, next question. Here we go. Oh, this is an interesting one. Hi, Dr. Bruce. Is it possible to implement a 5 a.m. wake-up routine as a bear? <laughs> yes, you bear types. You're always trying to strive for more. I love it. But let's be honest. Waking up at 5 a.m. is really not a great idea for a bear. I'm not really sure what you would want to be doing at 5 a.m. or if you have work that's starting at 5 a.m. But if you have something that's like really, really important that you have to do every day at 5 a.m., then in your case, what I might consider doing is adding a nap to your daily schedule because you are just not going to do well at 5 a.m., number one. And number two, you'd have to go to bed significantly earlier than you normally do um, in order to get any amount of sleep that's going to be worthwhile for you, Daniel. So what I would say is if you want to wake up at 5 a.m., you can get out the alarm, turn on the lights and do all of that stuff. I hope you don't wake up your bed partner. Um, but I would not, let me repeat, I would not recommend waking up at 5 a.m. on a regular basis for a bear type. Is it possible? Yes. Is it fun? No. Um, what you would need is bright light therapy in the morning and probably a little melatonin at night. Um, but once again, probably not the best idea. And if you're waking up at 5 a.m., for example, to do exercise or something like that, bears actually have far better times to do exercise than 5 a.m. Thanks for the question, Daniel. All right, here we go. Now we've got an interesting question. So this is from David, and he says, Hello, Michael. I have sleep apnea, and I wonder what causes it. I do yoga to relax my nervous system, which helps me reduce my stress and ground in my body. Do you know of references of how to calm and strengthen the body and nervous system to change the pattern of sleep apnea? Why does one's body stop breathing? I know that sleep apnea unchecked causes much anxiety and stress. Thanks for checking in on me. David. Well, David, uh, as you might know, uh, I did a podcast last week on the uh, dangers of sleep apnea, uh, and we went into pretty deep depth on it uh, about how it works, what happens, all of those things. I would definitely recommend that you take a listen to that because I think you will find it quite interesting. But to be clear, sleep apnea is a physical problem and it's usually anatomical in nature. 
which means you would either have large tonsils, large adenoids, some type of anatomical structure that would make your airway begin to get narrow. As we get older, as we gain weight, as our muscles become less tense, all of that begins to sag, and that's when this narrowing of the airway can eventually become sleep apnea. Once again, I would reference you over to the podcast that I did last week where we talked in depth about sleep apnea. Um, but as of right now, I am unaware of any uh, exercises or stretches or yoga poses that would uh, completely get rid of sleep apnea. Um, however, there are many types of sleep apnea. So first things first, we would want to know what kind of sleep apnea you have. We would want to know the root cause, anatomical, brain, things like that. Remember, there's obstructive sleep apnea as well as central sleep apnea. So this is probably a good idea for you to, number one, read some of my blogs about sleep apnea. But number two, I would talk with your doctor. Um, the best thing to do is to go and have a sleep test to see the severity of your apnea. If you've already done that, then there are several different treatments, all non-pharmacologic, by the way, um, that can be quite helpful. Um, also, I believe that there are treatments in inflammation that can be helpful for sleep apnea. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great research out there on this yet, um, but I am, am a big fan of uh, inflammation reduction for helping general sleep. Uh, so with that, I would say check out the podcast, um, but definitely talk with your doctor. All right. Let's see who we got here. Hi, Dr. Bruce. Do you recommend ebb cooling for patients like me who have IBS, SIBO, leaky gut, and et cetera? I've also been using clonazepam for decades and still do not sleep. Mohammed. You know something, Mohammed? I can honestly tell you that I have put the ebb cooling system on multiple people now, probably more than half a dozen folks. Um, I got about 10 or 12 of the ebbs uh, here at my office, and I've been putting them on patients and giving them to friends. And I've got to tell you something. I've seen it work in all kinds of different people. It's not a magic bullet. I'm not saying that it's going to change everything about the way you sleep. But what I am saying is it slows down your thinking. One of the things that we know of people with IBS and SIBO, leaky gut, is we know that anxiety is an issue. We know it. So what does Ebb do? Ebb actually helps slow down your thinking to lower your anxiety to go to bed. So have I put it into patients with IBS and SIBO and leaky gut? I don't think so, but do I think it would work? I think it's worth a shot for sure. Um, I personally use the Ebb, I would say probably four to six nights a week. Um, and I love it. Um, I don't have insomnia. I don't have ruminative thought. I do, however, have some anxiety and it seems to help with that quite a bit. Um, I don't, it, there shouldn't be any change in you using Ebb if you're using clonazepam. I don't know how or why those two would react, uh, together, but I think it's worth a shot, Mohammed. I, I would definitely try it if I were you. All right. Now we've got our next question from Will and he says, hi, Dr. Michael. My snoring seems to come through an exhalation through my mouth, which bounces my lips off of one another, making an irritating noise. What advice do you have for solving this? I'm a wolf, by the way, and I often struggle to get to sleep before 2 or 3 a.m. and thus struggle to get up early. In your book, which is great, by the way, you go through a perfect day for a wolf. Is it okay to offset that by a couple of hours? I'm horrendous in the morning, so 7 a.m. alarm is not good for me, Will. So, Will, absolutely, you can adapt it to later. Um, I will tell you that if you can try to adapt it earlier, you're going to be a whole lot better off just in terms of working through uh, people. But when we're talking about your snoring, 
Um, let's talk about the, let's talk about something a little bit different. So it says that your snoring is coming through an exhalation through my mouth, which bounces my lips off each other, make an irritating noise. So this is a comment that I've gotten from many, many people about their bed partners before. There's a couple of different things that you can consider doing here. Number one, mouth tape. I know that's going to sound strange, but M3 actually makes a micropore specifically designed mouth tape that actually I think might work well here. You would take a very small square, maybe an inch by an inch, place it into the middle of your lips, um, and it actually would keep your mouth closed. Um, we've seen this be very helpful for a lot of people. Um, a mouth guard would work equally as well. So a lot of people who use uh, dental guards for teeth grinding and things like that have found that it helps keep their mouths closed also. So I think those two things might be interesting for you to give a try. Um, the other thing that I would say is that you might have nasal congestion, which is what's causing you to breathe out through your mouth because most people should be breathing out through their nose. If you've got nasal congestion, then my favorite um, uh, product out there is called Mute. M-U-T-E. Um, it's mute snoring. I think they're at Walgreens for 15 bucks, um, but they work like a charm. I personally use them whenever I drink alcohol uh, because my wife says, go put your nose thingy in. I don't want to hear you snoring tonight. And so I do. Um, so what I would say is you want to consider mute. Uh, I would consider um, mouth tape. Uh, and um, I would also say that um, you can change your schedule as a wolf, but I wouldn't go too, too far with it. Also, you may want to consider getting checked out for sleep apnea. Um, if you are snoring and anybody hears you stop breathing in your sleep, that's a whole different path that you're going to want to go down, and that's going to be important as well. Next question is from Greg, and Greg asks, is there a way to stop bruising my nose with a full face mac and the AVS ventilator? I think it's ASV. Um, so Greg, yes, there is. So um, what Greg is asking about is he is using a, um, a CPAP machine, a special CPAP machine that helps people uh, breathe a whole lot better who have a specific type of apnea. And one of the things that it sounds like it's happening is he's getting a bruising across the bridge of his nose because he's wearing a full face mask, which is actually quite common. So let me address the bruising across the nose with the full face mask. So first of all, one of the first things that we know is a lot of people have a tendency to wrench the mask a little bit too tight. Um, and that can actually cause excess pressure. Remember, across the bridge of your nose, you have almost no subcutaneous fat. It's all epithelial cells, and they're highly vascular. So anything that's pushing and pressure on them is going to cause little micro um, bursts and bruising and things like that. So number one, you don't want your mask to be too tight. Now, the next thing you're going to say to me, Greg, is, well, hold on a second. If it's not too tight, then air is going to leak out and go into my eyeballs, and that's even more annoying. What do I do about that? So what I do is I ask people to get a little KY jelly. You don't want a petroleum-based um, lubricant, but just maybe some KY jelly, and you wrap it on the, you uh, wipe it on the mask on all of the parts that will touch your skin. What it does when you place it on your skin is it'll create a seal, much like a gasket would, and then you don't have to wrench the mask so tight, which is what's par partially causing that bruising. Another thing that I've had a lot of uh, patients do is they buy a little mole skin. This is this type of stuff that you use for like corns and blisters on your feet and things like that. And you can actually take a piece of the mole skin and cut it and put it just at the apex or the, the bridge part that touches your nose to give yourself a little bit of extra cushioning. Oftentimes that works really well also. 
So I would take a look at that. Also, by the way, there are several new full face masks that are on the market that may or may not actually push on that particular area for you. So you might want to talk with your doctor or your durable medical equipment provider. By the way, um, whoever you're getting your CPAP supplies from, you can ask for brand specific masks and they actually by law have to give them to you, assuming that your doctor prescribes them. So for example, if you go on to CPAP.com and you find a mask that you like better, ask your doctor to prescribe that particular branded full face mask. And then otherwise your DME provider can give you any face mask that they buy. So if you want one in particular, ask your doctor to write particularly for that brand. Awesome. Next question. Hey, Dr. B, this is from John. He says, I suffer from waking up early, 4 to 5 a.m. I can only get six hours most day. Four years ago, I was tested and found to have level three adrenal fatigue. Functional practices had no real solution. Any recommendations? Okay, John. Well, I have to be honest with you. I do not know what level three adrenal fatigue means. Um, I'm not even really 100% sure what adrenal fatigue is, but... I do know that people who tell me that they have adrenal fatigue do have significant sleep-related problems. So um, when when somebody turns to me and they say they suffer from waking up early, like between 4 and 5 a.m., where they can only get six hours most days, then the very first thing I want to do is figure out what is their chronotype, because maybe they're just going to bed at the wrong time, and it might be better if they go to bed earlier or maybe even later, just depending upon what's going on. The second thing that I would want to do is I would want to understand more about this early morning awakening. So once again, are you awakening with thoughts in your mind? Do you have to go to the restroom? Are you in pain? Things like that. So trying to understand all of that would be a place to go. Next, I would want to understand more about your vitamin and mineral composition. Do you have enough iron? Do you have enough magnesium? Do you have enough vitamin D in your system? All of these things can make people wake up too early. So I would want to make sure that you are up to par levels and make sure that the body is functioning you know, reasonably well. Um, The next thing I would do is really look at this idea of adrenal fatigue. Again, it is not my area of expertise, but what I can tell you um, is when people are suffering from what they call adrenal fatigue, there are definitely some sleep-related consequences to that, and getting on a sleep schedule can actually be very, very helpful. Um, Other things that people can can try um, are uh, different supplements. There seems to be some uh, supplementation that seems to work for some people who have uh, got adrenal fatigue, uh, things like valerian, melatonin, um, uh, 5-HTP, and L-theanine are all ingredients that I've seen work fairly well with uh, some of these people. Again, I am not an adrenal fatigue expert, uh, so this is not my area of expertise, rather that sleep is. Now, what I can tell you is not related to adrenal fatigue. I do have articles online that talk about general fatigue. Um, I have online articles that talk about menopausal fatigue. I know that's not you, John. Um, And I also have online articles that just talk about general sleep deprivation and things that people can do. So I highly recommend, uh, John, that you check out some of those articles online. Um, And again, I apologize for not having a tremendous amount of knowledge directly surrounding adrenal fatigue. But what I can tell you is that if memory serves, adrenal fatigue has a lot to do with having high cortisol levels on a regular basis. And I have an intense article on cortisol and sleep, which I think you'll find very, very interesting. All right, moving right along, I've got two more questions. Question, uh, let's see, the next one is, good morning, Dr. B. I am 55 years old uh, and uh, my trouble is staying asleep. 
Usually, I sleep like a rock on my right side and roll over to the other left side in the middle of the night. When I roll over between 3 and 5 a.m., I sometimes have pins and needles on the side I was lying on. Also, some nights when I roll to my left, I feel my heart beating, which I don't like. Then I move back and deep breathe or do Reiki. If I don't fall asleep, after like 45 minutes, I get up and go downstairs, lay on the couch, put my feet up, put on a meditation, which usually makes me sleepy, and then I go back upstairs until around 5.45. Any help would be appreciated. Got it. Okay, so first of all, Rosanna, thank you for your question. I've actually written a blog called What to Do If You Wake Up in the Middle of the Night. I highly recommend that you check that out. One thing I've noticed is that for many people, um, they don't have enough blood sugar And so I'm having people try guava leaf tea, not guava fruit, not guava juice, but guava leaf tea. This seems to help people keep their blood sugar um, uh, stable. And that's what usually is waking people up between three and four o'clock in the morning. Now, you having those pins and needles on that side also makes me wonder how old is your mattress? Um, You may not be in a supported mattress or comfortable bed, and that could too be causing you to wake up. Um, get those pins and needles, and then all of a sudden your brain is going, and uh, it isn't easy to do anything at that point. Once people's kind of brain starts going, then I usually have to get them to start to do a couple of things and think more positively. So in the middle of the night, what I'd like you to do is instead of looking over at the clock and thinking, oh, dang it, I've got to be up, I can't fall back asleep, this stinks, is what I want you to say to yourself is, this is awesome. I just woke up. It's three o'clock in the morning. I don't have to be up until six. So I've got three hours to chill out and maybe even get a little bit more rest. Now, one thing to remember is lying in a a relaxed state in the dark is rejuvenative. It's not as good as sleep, but it's not bad. If you did that for an hour, it's worth about 20 minutes of sleep or so. So what I would tell you to do is chill out, relax, be positive. What usually ends up happening is you don't get all uh, elevated blood pressure or heart rate, which is detrimental to being able to fall back to sleep. And it gives you the opportunity to relax and not get stressed out before the next day. So that's usually what I'm asking people to do. Be positive in the middle of the night. Look at that clock and tell yourself, this is awesome. I cannot wait to get a little more rest. Changing your attitude in the middle of the night is probably one of the best things that you possibly can do. Um, I'm not a big fan of getting up and going downstairs and laying on the couch and that kind of thing. I would rather sit there, relax, and just enjoy the evening and the stillness. Good luck. And I would definitely consider the guava leaf tea. Also, by the way, a raw honey, a teaspoon of raw honey before bed has also helped many of my patients in that area as well. Seems to keep the blood sugar stable. So give it a shot. And my last question of the day of the podcast, hi, Dr. Bruce, I'm a dolphin and I've had sleep issues for years. Now that I have a frozen shoulder, I take pain meds and sometimes gets me as little as two hours at night. Any suggestions to copes? Thanks for all you do, Kathy. So I have actually heard of frozen shoulder before. This is something that can be very difficult to deal with. Number one, there are some pillows out there that you might want to consider. There's one pillow, I think it's called a Medicline, and it's actually specific for people who've got shoulder issues. It allows them to still sleep on their shoulder while maintaining a good level of support. So that's one thing I would consider doing. Second thing I would do is make sure that your bed is supportive and doing all the things that you need it to do because that's going to have a massive effect on you as well. If now is not the right time for you to go buy a bed, consider a topper. 
because that could help you out at least initially while this shoulder is taking uh, so much time out of your sleep. But if you are up for buying a new mattress, I've done a lot of mattress reviews. There are several sales out there. So go on over to the Sleep Doctor blog, check out some of my mattress reviews. I think that could be helpful for you as well. Wow, that was a bunch of questions. I'm so excited. I like answering questions for people. Actually, it's one of the most fun things that I do. So I'm excited to have you guys sending in your questions and me being able to answer them. So please do. Once again, it's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. Send me your questions and I'll answer them on my podcast. If I don't get a chance to, or maybe you didn't remember how to spell my name, you can always go to Becky, B-E-C-K-Y at thesleepdoctor.com and she will get me those questions as well. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Michael Bruce, The Sleep Doctor, wishing all of you sweet dreams.